Detroit, an American autopsy, opens with these lines and this image. Detroit, an American autopsy is a book, opens with this line and these images. This, these lines and this image. I took a deep breath through my cigarette. I didn't want to use my nose. It was late January, the air scorching cold, the snow was falling sideways as it usually did in Detroit this time of year. The dead man was encased in at least four feet of ice at the bottom of a defunct elevator shaft in an abandoned building. But still, there was no telling what the stink might be like. From there, the author goes on for 300 pages to describe the desolation and deterioration of Detroit. But the image of a man found frozen to death in an abandoned building becomes a metaphor for the faceless, nameless poor who are left behind in a burned out American city. It's a haunting image. But it could be lifted any day from any paper anywhere in the world. We get the grisly details of death every day from bodies, if you saw this morning, from bodies lying in the streets of Ukraine to another shooting in Roseland, to the war in Yemen or the mass graves of Rohingya genocide. We get the images every day. But we rarely get the smell. The Bible, however, is full of stories of life and death that give sensory details. Scripture includes a variety of places, reference, uh, places, references to what, where it references to what things smell like. Food, perfume, smoke, and death. For example, just before our text this morning, Jesus shows up late to heal Lazarus. This is in John 11. Jesus shows up late to heal Lazarus, and after a good cry with the family, he goes to the tomb, finding the stone over the opening. Jesus asks it to be rolled away, but Martha protests. He's been dead for four days, officially dead, four days. There's no telling what the stink will be like. But then Jesus yells for Lazarus to come out, and through tears of grief and confusion, Martha sees Lazarus stumbling out of the grave, still wrapped in the linen of the dead. She can't believe her eyes, but there's no fool in her nose. He was dead, and now he's alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get out your finest suit. Put on your best dress. We're going to have a resurrection dinner party. And that's where our text picks up this morning. So allow me a little space for imagination. Martha an exceptional cook, 
was busy in the kitchen. There was little in the world that made her happier than family and friend gathered around a table for a good meal. This was the best way that she knew how to say thank you. Lazarus, still shaking off death's cobwebs, couldn't eat fast enough. Who knows how long you get after you've been dead once? With the second go-round, the bread and wine never tasted better. Jesus was the honored guest. These were some of his best friends. But the truth is, they really didn't know what to make of him. He was a friend, but he was also teacher, miracle worker, maybe Messiah. And now he raised the dead? So around the table, they told stories and gave toasts and savored each dish. And once in a while, they couldn't help but look at Lazarus and laugh in delightful disbelief. It was like Jesus said in that story about the prodigal son. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they celebrated and enjoyed each moment. And yet there was no mistaking, even with the used-to-be-dead guy at the table, there was no mistaking they were hemmed in and anxious. The rumor was that in the murky waters of church and state, the Pharisees, chief priests, and the Roman guards were plotting to take Jesus and Lazarus. Death lurked in the shadows. There was an uneasy undercurrent. Then Mary cracked open an expensive bottle of oil and poured it over the dry, calloused feet of Jesus. It was the best way that she knew how to say thank you. Let expense be damned. Let danger be damned. Let death be damned. She loosed her hair. By the way, good Jewish women never let their hair down. She loosed her hair and she began to wipe the oil over his feet with her tousled black mane. Before she could stop them, tears were mixing with the oil and the room was full of the fragrance of nard and food and feet and death. And Mary didn't know if she was crying for joy or fear. Enough imagination. Spiky-haired, bespeckled Canadian singer-songwriter, Bruce Coburn, really no one? <laughs> All right, there we go. Bruce Coburn wrote a song in the mid-1980s entitled Lovers in a Dangerous Time. 
And I've long wondered if this scene, if he had this scene in mind. So listen to these lyrics. These fragile bodies of touch and taste, this vibrant skin, this hair like lace, spirits open to the thrust of grace, never a breath you can afford to waste when your lover's in a dangerous time. When your lover's in a dangerous time, sometimes you're made to feel as if your love's a crime. But nothing's worth having, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. Got a kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight when your lover's in a dangerous time. Amen. The story of a woman anointing Jesus with oil and or tears shows up in every gospel. Depending on which gospel, it happens at different times, different places, and in different ways. For example, in the Gospel of Luke, not the one we read, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is having dinner with the Pharisees when a woman wipes his feet with her tears and pours out perfume. In Mark, the woman pours it on his head probably illusion, an allusion to Jesus being anointed as Messiah, as, as, as a king. And here in John, Mary pours the oil on his feet like one preparing a body for burial. And when Judas objects, Jesus explicitly says that this was meant for his burial. What's easily lost in all of that is the tender human moment of love in a dangerous time. For in gratitude for a life after death, or in fear of a coming conflict with the state, Jesus and Mary let the extravagance of expensive perfume overwhelm the stench of death. Rather than run or hide, wilt, rebel, or turn away, they look death in the face. And Mary says, thank you. The best way that she knew how. An act of love in a dangerous time. Dear friends, in the face of death, cancer or heart disease or mired in cultural wars or knowing the horrors of real war or simply when your spirit is beat down, weary, dead. In the face of any of that or all of that, the, gospel, the gospels don't gloss over death, or danger. Nor does it offer some special protection or a secret way out. Rather, the Gospels proclaim a God who enters into death, who knows grief and betrayal, who suffers the torture of the state and the terror of the mob, 
The mystery of the gospel is that God doesn't sidestep death or sublimate death, but God goes through death, knows the cold of death, tastes the bile of death, smells the stink of death, and rises up in resurrection. Dear friends, this story may be part of demonstrating that Jesus is divine with power over death. But it also acknowledges or accepts death. And maybe there's some manner of Lenten first fruit here. The season of Lent offers us a clear-eyed, full-hearted recognition of death. We don't gloss it over or deny its inevitability, but we offer a community in which to live and die with dignity and hope. And we don't face with death with despair or some cheap way of playing pretend. But we face death in the grip of God's hand. Our faith is in resurrection. And in that, we live and die differently. We even smell differently. Paul puts it this way to the church in Corinth. Thanks be to God who uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. You don't know what to say to that, do you? Richard Leischer writes about a woman battling cancer. Uh, she had completed two full courses of chemotherapy while finishing her doctoral dissertation. To celebrate, she and her husband rented a VFW hall, hired a band, and threw a big party. Leischer writes this. And then two days before graduation, her doctor confirmed that her cancer was back. Experimental treatments would begin the day after graduation. My guess was that they would limp through the ceremony and cancel the party. But she had the party. And I tell you that I have never heard the gospel of God's yes preach more powerfully than I saw it danced on the floor of the VFW. An outsider would have only seen arthritic gyrations. But this was a woman of faith, and she danced her yes in the grip of the no. 
And that's the way we do it. The best celebrating is done in the face of the enemy. The best dancing is done on the devil's dance floor. So without being trite or flippant, get out your best dress. Put on your finest suit. Dust off your dancing shoes. We're going to have a resurrection dinner party. Break open a bottle of perfume, pour out some wine, slice the finest bread, and dance on the devil's dance floor. You may even want to join the conga line. Speaking of arthritic gyrations. (laughs) Because, dear friends, you're not alone. God is present. Don't be afraid. Love, even in a dangerous time. Because our hope is in the resurrection. You can almost smell it. Amen.